Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Inclusive Education Project Silent Auction. That's our fourth annual silent auction and panel discussion. Yes, so we apologize if there's a little background noises, but we we're actually going to be live today, so it's very exciting. And we have um, a little treat for you before you hear the live podcast. Um, we're going to let you get up to know our panelists a little bit. So, um, Vicki, you want to get it started? On location, live with Dr. Jeanette Morgan. Hi. Hello. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being part of our panel. Thank you. So, <laughs> Dr. to be here. So, Dr. Morgan, is it okay if I just call you by your formal title? Uh, where, sure. where are you coming from? Where do you work? So, I work at the Anxiety Depression Center in Newport Beach. And we are also have a part of that that's called the Psychoeducational Assessment Center as well. Oh, okay. So we're we're actually both. really familiar um, with Dr. Perry Pissarro. Right. Yeah. Right. I think we when we first opened up our practice and our nonprofit, we needed. I think no. We, he reached out to oh, us. He reached out. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, this community is so small, but it is big in the sense that there's so many kids, there's so many students that we serve, and it's 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 really important for us to all connect to each other and like help help refer to each other. And I think he had us come and actually speak to a group of the therapists that were yeah. there, and that was a great experience because it wasn't just us giving information about what we do, but we were learning about the Anxiety and Depression Center and getting to have like it's a similar conversation to what we're gonna have like today. Oh, that's um, with the therapist there, it was a really great. We really love the center, so yeah, we, you know, yeah. we're really excited yeah. that you could be here. That's great. I know Dr. Pissarro like really values that collaboration and yeah. working closely with people. Yeah, I think we had just opened up our, for, uh, our firm about four years ago, Sologi and Brett, and we were featured or not featured, but we were in the Orange County Register. And I think he was just like reading the newspaper and he was like, who are these ladies? Like, what are they doing? Yeah. And he like, and it was super formal. Like, he was just like, he, um, I think he sent a letter and then followed up with a phone call. Like, to me, it was very personable and that's what we thoroughly enjoyed. So we're yeah. so excited to have you here today. You. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to be at the Anxiety and Depression Center. Well, I actually, I was a special education teacher um, and Perry was working there in the same school with me as a school psychologist. Mm-hmm. So you guys go way back. We go way back. We go way back. I think nice. I, I, I was trying to figure that out. I think I've known him since 2003 or oh, wow. something okay. like that. 15 years, yeah. Yeah, very long time. Yeah. And he told me, you need to be a school psychologist. And I said, no. <laughs> he said, I'm no, okay. You, really, yeah. you need to. And I said, no. No, I really don't. Can't do what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eventually, he convinced me. Yeah. So I went on and I did that, and then he left the district and went to Anxiety and Depression Center, and so then called me and he says, "You need to get your license so you can be in wow. educational psych." And I said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> So eventually, all of that has led to me working with him. I've worked with him at the Anxiety Depression Center since 2012 as a licensed educational psych. Then he convinced me to do my doctorate. So now I just (laughs) recently finished that, and so now I'm working with him as a clinical psych as well. 
Oh, so he, very he, cool. He's very persuasive, I guess. <laughs> yes, pretty much anything he tells me, I go, okay, fair. So you're like, I guess. Like, you say no a couple times, and you're like, I guess. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so you probably get this question a lot, as, as we do. How did you get into becoming a special education teacher in the first place? That was actually not something I thought I would ever do. It was, I fell into it is kind of how mm-hmm. I look at it. I had finished up my bachelor's in speech therapy Mm. and decided I needed a year off before I went to grad school. Mm -hmm. And so I was a substitute teaching. Well, because of that background, I had, I just did a lot of special ed classes. Mm -hmm. So then my best friend calls me, this could be too much information. No, not at all. I love (laughs) it. (laughs) My best friend from high school calls me and says, I'm going to Saipan to start a choir in a high school. Come with me. And I said, what? What? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My first question. Exactly. It's an island north of Guam, east of the Philippines. Oh, it's, wow. It's a commonwealth. So it's it's um, the Marianas Islands, and it's part of the United States. Mm-hmm. So everything's in English and dollars and all of that. So I got off the phone with her, and 15 minutes later, this person from the public school system calls me. Wow. And like, please come and do special ed. And I was like, wow. I don't have a credential. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they were like, no, we're desperate. So a month later, I was landing in Saipan and worked with special needs kids, and that is amazing. That's actually a really cool story. So I mean, you know, that one of the reasons that we have, um, you know, I, I know a lot of the panelists are like doctors and stuff, but just your guys' backgrounds is what really intrigued us because most people would think like, oh, well, you guys are going to have all student, you know, and it's just like, no, you came from working with students yeah. and and going into the private sector because of, you know, whatever reason that kind of got you in the private sector. It sounds like it, there was a couple steps there. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you're enjoying the work that you do oh, and helping it. the teens. It's mostly yeah. teens that you're you're helping or well, actually, it kind of varies? Uh, it varies. Mm-hmm. Right now, I am, as I'm coming back and getting started in the, the more oh, clinical things. Oh, right, yeah, because you things, yeah. do the doctorate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now, right now, I'm doing more teens. But as far as assessment goes, it mm-hmm. runs the gamut from little kids to um, even adults. So then so. you guys do assessments, but you also treat as well. We also Talk treat, to us a little exactly. bit about that. So our treatment modality is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. And so a big part of what we do as far as treatment of, of children is a lot of collaboration. So mm-hmm. we work with both the parents and their IEP teams as well as going in the schools mm-hmm. and do a lot of behavior management and actually it's a huge part of what we do is yeah. being integrative and making sure that everybody's on the same page and has relationship yeah. and, and communication. That's huge. And that's and so important. Yeah, and a sneak peek into what the panelists are going to be discussing today. Oh, yeah. but, um, we're so happy that you took the time to, to get here early and do this little mini um, recording with us. So thank you so much. And um, we're excited to, to hear what you have to say with the, the questions that Grace will have for you guys. <laughs> so stay tuned. with our second panelist, Dr. Michael Corey. Can we call you Dr. Corey? Matthew. 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 Oh, I I knew I was going to screw it up. That's why you... Oh, that's why I always announce... That's true. I always I always say the first... Sorry, I my am bad. so my bad. sorry. We have so many names on the brain. It's been a long day. I apologize. Um, I'll call you Dr. Corey. Is that cool? <laughs> and so, um, Dr. Corey, how did we find you? I know, was it Devin that reached out to you? Who had reached out to you? I think it's through our outreach coordinator. Andrew. 
that's who Dr. it was. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and he had already told me that, and I'd already forgotten about that. So we had met um, Andrea. I was trying to think. Was it through Camille? We met her through someone. No, because I thought I think we are. She already knew Camille. I don't we know. met her somehow, and then we fell in love with her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we told her about the Connection Cafe. It helped me grow. Shout out, help me grow. And the rest is history. And now you're here, so we're very excited. So Thank where you. do you work, Dr. Corey? So I work at a clinic that, um, and, and run the clinic called the Mind Health Institute Newport Beach. It is the Newport Beach location of a larger collection of clinics in Southern California. Okay. And so... I spend most of my time running the Newport Beach and Laguna Beach sites, and then am also involved in our Santa Monica site. And okay. Have more of a, a secondary, tertiary presence, um, and we also have sites in Beverly Hills, Pasadena, and Calabasas. How do families find you? You know, that's a good question. I think most of it, uh, most of them find us just through word of mouth. I, I, yeah. My background's in public health, and I mm. tend to view things through the lens of networking and outreach as opposed to mm-hmm. advertising and marketing so I just mm-hmm. meet with people and uh, Andrea, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Kamath mm-hmm. who's our outreach coordinator mm-hmm. meets with people mm-hmm. and kind of generate kind of our connections that yeah. way. Well that's the best way to do it. It's easier to refer a friend mm-hmm. than to someone that you've seen in advertisement before. So I mean we definitely <laughs> yeah. agree with them. So tell us a little bit about um, how you work with the community that we're involved with um, you know, youth, what's the age group that you deal with most? Myself and the three other psychiatrists that work with us are all child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrists. Okay. So we all work with kids, adolescents, and young adults. All of the therapists to date in the Orange County sites also kind of specialize in kids, adolescents, and young adults. And so we work with a range of ages from school-age children to to young adults but a lot of us see adults as well one of the questions that we always like to ask people because we get it all the time and and it's like how did you get into what you're doing how are you dealing with this community and and for amanda and i a lot of the attorneys in our area of the law actually start off in a different career path so they're doing business litigation and then they have a child with special needs and then they find special education law. Um, Amanda and I are a little different because we don't have children and she actually was a one-to-one aide for um, special needs children and I have a cousin on the spectrum so we kind of found it in a different way. How did you find this community? You know, I found my way to psychiatry actually in medical school. I was almost done with medical school and kind of really wanted to work with at-risk kids and adolescents, and I kind of found my way to this field just through my uh, exposure to a variety of medical specialties in medical school. Psychiatry is one of the core rotations that all medical students do, and I um, kind of had an interest in working with uh, young people. So the Mind Health Institute it already has a different name than some other agencies that we would. So Mind Health, are we, are we talking about dealing with the, the whole child, the whole youth, their whole mind and trying to yeah, tell us a little bit about that? That's the goal. I mean, I, I tend to see things through more of a strength-based approach. So I think that it was some of the reasoning behind choosing the name we did. Mm-hmm. You know, all of our clinics do... We are in different communities, and different communities have different needs. Yep. So one of the things we're trying, we try to be mindful of, is allowing them to evolve and develop to serve the, the needs of the community. And so there are certainly some kind of core 
aspects that we try to be consistent about, but we do allow for some uh, variability in how, how the clinics develop. My, my lens tends to be through kind of the evidence-based or scientific lenses. How do we provide evidence-based services at the community level? And so that's really the, the focus of the, the Newport Beach and Laguna Beach sites. Which will be interesting to hear your take when we are doing the panel discussion just because school is a big part of our community and sometimes there are barriers and sometimes there are agencies and other panelists that are going to be speaking that are already working in schools. Do you do any work in the schools or have any school districts kind of come to you to say like, hey, we might need you to come even for a presentation or anything like that? Yeah, you know, and and it actually kind of touches on your initial question is how I found my way to psychiatry Mm -hmm. was in medical school, but why I decided to go to medical school is based (laughs) on working in um, a school. Okay. Post-college, I, I worked for an AmeriCorps program for a year okay. for a program called the I Have a Dream Foundation, which oh, wow. is a kind of school-based intervention Oh, that's program. cool. And so I think that's always been important to me. And so, yeah, we do a lot of, you know, our primary mission really is how do we provide the best clinical care possible mm-hmm. at a community level, mm-hmm. but our secondary goal has really become and it's really what Andrea's focus is, is how do we educate the community better? And I like to use the term kind of, I I think we're just, our level of mental health literacy is incredibly low as a society. And so how do we improve the the mental health literacy of our community in general? Yeah. Oh, you know, we've had this podcast since uh, November of last year, and I'd say more often than not, no matter what topic we're talking about, it does intertwine with mental health. And that's why when we tried to figure out what topic we were going to do for this panel, it just was blatant that this was something that we had to talk about, that it it needed to be talked about more and in a different way, we thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's another little sneak peek into what you guys are going to get into um, on the panel. Um, So we want to thank you so much for coming early. Um, You are rewarded with a drink from the bar. I'm just (laughs) only if you want. But yeah, we're really excited to hear um, your take and opinion along with the rest of the panelists. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. have Dr. Grace Lasada with us. Is that how you pronounce it? That's Grace correct. Yep. And you are at Fusion Academy now, right? That's right, yeah. I started with Fusion many, many years ago and uh, went away for a while, came back, opened the first replication campus, which is our West LA campus, and I ran that for about four years uh, before I transitioned into my current role, which is Vice President of Education, and we just reached 50 schools across the country. Whoa! That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. We didn't know that. That's amazing. How many, if you know offhand, how many states is that in? Somebody just asked me that question, and I don't know. What I can tell you is that we're, we started on the West Coast mm-hmm. in California. We jumped over to New York, D.C., and, you know, put schools across the East Coast. Yeah. And then we went to Texas and nice. Chicago, and we now have schools in Miami, and we're getting ready to open in Boston and Seattle. Wow. Amazing. What? What? How did you get here? <laughs> That's probably a better question. question yeah. No, but... that's an interesting 
actually for me because you know I actually come from a long line of educators and okay. um, and I was bound and determined not to become an educator and lo and behold when I was at college I had to work while I was a student and I started tutoring and just fell in love with kids and the process of learning my very first mentor was a woman who was a special education teacher and okay. also an MFT in private practice. Oh, very, very cool. And that absolutely shaped the way that I think about education, which is why today's topic is so exciting for me. I also, my background is in special education. I do have my master's in marriage and family therapy. I don't practice in that way. And then I went on and did my doctorate in uh, educational leadership and educational psychology. So this is right up my alley in terms of how I think about kids in school and what we need to be doing to serve them well. That's why we were so excited when you agreed to be our moderator and, and why we wanted to keep the panel, you know, three panelists and a moderator because I think that you can contribute so much and, and we hope that, you know, you are part of that discussion, especially because of your background. And Amanda and I always joke, half joke, that we are counselors in every sense of the word and we sometimes wish that we had, you know, the psychology background um, or the MFT background because we are dealing with a lot of trauma, not just the child and whatever the child has gone through in the educational setting, but the parent. Yeah, I mean, the family as a whole, the parent, the siblings, the family dynamic, I mean, so much goes into, and that's what we love, organizations like Fusion. I guess it's just that schools like Fusion, but uh, because it's so much more than just a school. It's really looking at that whole child, which we love, and we've had Fusion on on the pod as well, so. Yeah, and and right before we started recording, when we were waiting for you, Amanda, um, you know, I was kind of telling her how we organically came up with this particular area and it was because you know I think six seven eight months ago there was that succession of school shootings which obviously has been on the rise and you know the the effect of that and just mental health issues in our in our society in the yeah. United States in general and and she was just like I had so many different ways that we can go with this and we're yeah. just so excited to, to yeah. kind of delve into it absolutely and it really resonates with me too because you know I think I think one of the things that happens to us sometimes is we become a little bit desensitized yes. and when Parkland happened I actually um, had a private practice in Boca Raton, Florida for many years. I also was a private homeschool teacher for a family who when I left their students actually matriculated into Parkland High School and they were not there any longer. They had already graduated yeah. but that hit home in a way that sort of renewed the focus I think for myself and it's an important thing to talk about. Yeah, well, and, and not just to talk about it in general, but really talk about how much it is connected to school. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are very quick to be like, oh, it has nothing to do with the school, it has nothing to do with the students, like, this is isolated, and, and that's, I mean, part of the, those ideas is why we came up with a podcast in the first place, was really to change that conversation, not just about this area, but of all areas relating to education, because so much is intertwined. I mean, our life is intertwined, our, our family our community and education it's so intertwined so to isolate them to separate it's just it does it a disservice absolutely agree I absolutely agree and I think another thing that that I always uh, consider is you know first of all we've got to make sure that the the various professionals are talking to each other and helping each other through this process and holding hands and then the other thing I think we've got to be mindful of is starting to shift from a reactive stance to a proactive stance yes what are the things that we can be doing so that we're not in this space of you know responding to a school shooting, um, responding to cluster suicides, 
you know, those those are those are the things that I hope we start moving towards as a community. And I just that's why we love your background in particular because you've you've seen, if you will, behind the curtain, right? You know, um, and a lot of the panelists, you know, had a special education um, background, you know, as teachers, and and they kind of you know find their way. And I was mentioning this to Dr. Corey before. You know, a lot of times, you know, people will ask us like, "Oh, how'd you get into special education?" You know, do you? Know, and most of the attorneys in our area you know they had a child with special needs and then they found special education and for Amanda and I it's a bit different that's why we have the nonprofit then you know with the nonprofit it could be a bit more fun and, and put on you know things like this but we're just so excited to have you here and we're just I can't I'm over the moon with you I, I'm, I'm so excited um, oh, but we, thank, we thank you. you for coming early and doing this little mini episode and yeah stay tuned we have one more person Our final panelist, Dr. Sabrina Shuck. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am uh, an assistant professor of pediatrics at UC Irvine in the School of Medicine, and I run a research center that also provides a school-based uh, intervention program to the community for about 65, 75 kids a year who actually attend school there. Oh, okay. And, and then we have services that we provide for the community. And and I do research in with therapy dogs and kids with ADHD. Oh, we love I know, dogs. I know. We We're do. Like, about to be like, okay, so how can we get involved with that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's my that's been my kind of main area of study the last almost ten years now mm-hmm. um, is looking at different mechanisms of non-pharmacological interventions yeah. that help support the development of executive function skills and kids. Mm-hmm skills for school. How did you get into UCI? I mean, I, that's a big, a loaded question, especially because there's everybody has a connection in Orange County to UCI. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in Orange County. Oh, okay. And I went to UCI. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> um, I took a course when I was a junior from Dr. James Swanson oh, okay. uh, in attention deficits, and I loved it and said, hey, I want to do research. Just with you. sucked you in. And uh, then I was next thing I knew, I was driving the bus after school and running the after school program. Yeah. And wow. and then a few years went by, and I, you know, got a couple of degrees. Yeah, you just yeah. became a doctor, and then you just started doing more research. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we had heard your name um, a plethora of times before. We actually met with Devin, and, and Devin was the one that actually asked you to be part of our yeah. panel, right? Yes. Yeah. We love Devin. Yeah, we love Devin too. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's great your background brings a little bit of a different variety than our other panelists and just in, in, in what you do being a little bit different, but we, we really love the perspective from that, that you're getting not only your background, but the research side. I think that that's a really important piece. You know, we really have to, we can't just look at, you know, what's happening in, in the news, right, or what people are talking about. We really have to look at, at what is the research telling us about how kids learn and how our brain works and, and how we can, what we know about these yeah. these challenges that you know impact school and, and what we know you know 25 years later since since we started really studying uh, different kinds of uh, strategies and interventions and up against each other so yeah it's uh it's fun, fun stuff. yeah yeah <laughs> and, and, i mean it's different 
all the time, right? So it's, it's just, that's what we enjoy about this area of the law. It's, it's relatively new compared to, you know, contracts law that's been around since forever. I give you my goat, you, I always say this, I give me my goat, I, you know, you take my cheese, whatever. But special education was essentially created in the 70s. So for us, it's still the Wild West where we're able to be creative and that's why we love to be able to connect with professionals like yourself who are doing research, who are pushing the envelope and want to know the how yeah. and not just the why. Yeah. How do we do it better? Yes. And, yes. and how do we, um, how do we you know, make outcomes better for, for our kids? Um, yeah. Kind of where we're coming from today, wanting to have this this conversation about where do we go from here? Because yeah. too often, I think I've said this on the pod before. I've seen so many other countries that take a lot of our. We have some great research here in the United States, but other countries take it and they run with it, where we don't always do that, and we need to be doing that more. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with education of our professionals mm-hmm. and really. The, the, the isolation of uh, in their ivory towers. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah, it really. You have teachers and physicians and you know, mental health professionals that all work and train in isolation of one another. Right. And, and really, that multidisciplinary opportunity to to get feedback and to work with one another and you know talk with folks like Kathy and Matt about right. and you'll get out of our our, our respective towers. Yeah. But the problem is then. You know, how do we train people? And, and right. Right, how do we train the next generation of you know behavioral health and teachers and, and you know folks yeah. that, um, so that they all know how to talk to each other? I had kind of um, made my way into a conversation that you and some of the other panelists were having yeah. about, you know, y- yes, it's good that, it, you know, we focus in on the early intervention, but, you know, what about the status quo as it is now? And, right. and Amanda and I are, are always saying that for us, we are not school psychologists. We, we don't have that right. psychology background, but we've gone to enough IEP meetings. We connect ourselves with experts like yourself yeah. Yeah. so yeah. that we aren't just kind of, you know, in this little box where we're just like, okay, well, this is the law. Like, we right, have right, to know right. more. Yeah. And that's what we love about the research that you're doing over at UCI. We actually know Masha Jones. Yes. And uh-huh. I feel like, yeah, you know, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had her on the podcast uh-huh. and, and just the research that she was doing, like, yeah. Yeah. like yeah. blew our mind. Yeah, it's, it's crazy yeah. to us. I yeah. mean, and, and the implications for that research, the problem is that, you know, we, we find these things out. You know, one of the things I, I was reading this evening, I, I, I was thinking, oh, I gotta, you know, prepare myself a little bit and read some, some recent literature. <laughs> and and I, so I was, I was looking across you know, the last five years of, of papers, and I thought, wow, it's been five years since since everybody, since we said, hey, this is the way this is supposed to be done, and it's still not being done. Right, yeah. right. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, getting that ripple effect you know, research to practice, research to practice. Mm-hmm. That's really our our biggest challenge. So we, we look at all this money that we spend, and I, I'm not saying we shouldn't spend right. money on early education, right. but, but what about teacher education? Yes. Teacher enrichment, yes. Yes. ongoing professional yes. development yes. for professionals and um, and parents and, mm-hmm. and caregivers. Yeah. And I think what we see a lot, especially at the school site level, is, well, we've always done it this way. Yeah. And that is painful <laughs> because yeah. just because you're doing something, it's still not working. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Start yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we could say this about, so uh, teachers, just like attorneys, we have to do continuing education. Right. But right. I mean, if, if continuing education for teachers is anything like it is for lawyers, you show up and you pay your yeah you're phoning it in. And there's, there's not a lot of there's yeah. not a lot of um, not a lot of great opportunities out there. Well, and I That's think true. you go to a session and 
and, and even if a teacher goes and learns and says, this is great information. But then how do you generalize how, that? Yeah, yes. and then how do you apply it to your classroom? I mean, that's something that we've talked about when we are trying to teach <laughs> the law and legal obligations to right. teachers and IEP teams or at IEP meetings. And it is very difficult because they're set in their ways or the school is set in their ways or they have quote-unquote policies. Every meeting is an education. Yeah. yeah, and we yeah. say if we could get in with the, you know, the undergrad students when they're getting in first but then that's not enough because we can teach them something but if the system itself is set in, so set in its ways then we're not and then you have you know young very well trained excited professionals that go into a you know stagnant pool yes. yep and and they're and stifled they, so and they quick burn out and, and they burn out and then they leave yeah, yeah. And, and that that's a shame that, yeah, that's, well, I mean, we're, we're solving the world's problems tonight. I, I, hey, look, hey, I mean, it's a start. It's a start. I thought I was going to go to be a special education teacher when I was an undergrad. And yeah. one of the biggest reasons I went to law school instead of the school was exactly that. I knew that I would be one of those that would speak up too much and I would get fired or I would feel like I can't help anymore. And, you know, I mean, obviously a big thing is we need to change that so that, you know, people yeah. who would love to go into teaching don't feel that way. I mean, I am very grateful that I found this path, that this is what I was supposed to do, you know? I mean, everyone kind of has that moment sometimes in their life. I but, hope so. Uh, yeah. But, and, and that's what we're talking about, right? We yeah. want kids to be able, be able to, to, have that. to understand that everybody can have that, right? Because so often it's, you know, people thinking, or kids thinking, right? Only certain people get to become professionals or live their dreams, right? There's so much that idea that only, not everyone gets to live their dreams, but everyone can. And, and I think, you know, it's, and we were talking in our little group, uh, you know, I think it's great that we're um, continuing this conversation in the community. You know, I think our community earlier this year, Orange County in particular, was really rocked by you know, a lot of suicide and yes, homicide yes. and accidental overdose and um, a lot of people that I knew so they have were so touched much by a lot of anxiety around you know, testing the testing ultimate problem yeah. with stress in school. So, and, and having the conversation is one thing, but keeping it going yes. and, and, and teaching our up-and-coming teachers and our up-and-coming administrators about how to recognize and how to um, kind of... And I want to say, parents always say, well, should I just lower my expectation? Maybe. The hard balance. Change the expectation, yeah. right? Yeah. right? It's not always, we don't have to have that one set expectation. There's a whole spectrum of expectations we yeah. can be putting on our yeah. kids. And it doesn't need yeah. to be higher or lower. It can be just different. Right. And, yeah. and one of the things that we, we talk about as developmental psychologists is, you know, before the age of 10, you know, you're, you're working on building resilience and building your your ability to go out in the world and yeah. to interact with other people. And, you know, that, that period of time in, 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 in development is very, very critical. And we've got that academic trickle-down that we've been talking about since the yeah. 70s. Yeah. Right. But, but it's getting well below the age of 10 where the expectations are okay we need algebraic thinking up the ante right and you're like what's okay, going well, on yeah some kids can do that but right. if we're assessing for that and building mm -hmm. the bar here um and, and i'm not saying that we shouldn't that we should degrade our education system by any means but but i, I think you know, there's a whole child, and, yeah. and, and really that that has kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah. A researcher that's really famous is Adele Diamond. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ever read her? Mm -hmm. She's at the mm -hmm. University of British Columbia, and she talks okay. about you know the things that are most important for developing executive function skills and how important 
know, intact executive function skills are for life outcomes. Oh yeah, and reducing substance abuse, and you know, better completely relationships. Yeah, reducing poverty. All of those things are better with better executive function skills. Right. And the things that get kids' executive function skills going are are, are fun and creative <laughs> yes. and, and yes. not necessarily drill-drill. We are so yes. looking forward to your take with this panel today. I think everybody <laughs> is, is an expert in their yes. own right and, and the conversations that I overheard you already having with the panelists and then just our conversation. We might have to have you back because I think we could talk I, to you forever. I think so too. Uh, we really can. <laughs> Dr. Shuck, thank yeah, you. Everybody says that. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's perfect. That's right exactly with what we like. <laughs> Thank you so much for You're joining us this thank evening you. and you guys will be listening to the recording of the panelists and that'll be next and that'll be next enjoy bye, bye.